Good morning, everyone. My name's Annika, and I am a member here at the 915 service. And I'm also part of a women's Bible study group that meets on a Friday morning. Uh, this morning, I'm going to be reading the first part of the reading, which is from Revelation, um, and it is chapter 10. And if you are in the Brown Bibles, it's on page 866. So, Revelation 10. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun, and his legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll, which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. When he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven say, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. Then the Lord I had seen standing on the sea, sorry, the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land, raised his right hand to heaven. And he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, and the sea and all that is in it, and said, There will be no more delay. But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished, just as he announced to the servants, to his servants the prophets. Then the voice I had heard from heaven spoke to me once more. Go, take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth will be as sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. Morning, friends. My name is Josh, and we're going to continue uh, reading Revelation chapter 11. I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, Go and worship the temple of God and the altar with its worshippers, but exclude the outer court. Do not measure it, because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months, and I will appoint my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. They are the two olive trees and the two lampstands, and they stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. They have power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Now when they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower them and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified for three and a half days. Some from every people, tribe, language and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them. And we'll celebrate by sending each other's gifts, because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. 
But after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and terror struck those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. At that very hour, there was a severe earthquake, and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed. The third woe is coming soon. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before, before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant, and there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a severe hailstorm. So back when I turned 21, just a year or two ago, I was having uh, my 21st birthday party and someone gave me a book called Conversations with God. And I thought, it's really nice that they gave me this gift about God. They knew that I liked to talk about God. And so we chatted about it before and I got this book and I opened it up and I started to have a read. And what I realized as I read it is that it was really quite incompatible with the God of the Bible. It was very different. It wasn't, it wasn't in line with the Bible. And so I got a marker out and I wrote something on the front cover so that I could put it on my shelf for a future day, but I didn't want anyone thinking that it was something that they should read and follow. So I wrote a big word on the front and put it on the shelf, uh, protecting my kids maybe one day that they wouldn't pull it off the shelf and read it. But it's a book about a man who, who at the low point of his life would wake up and journal all of his angry questions. And he pulled out the journal one day and he wrote, angry questions to God and he went to toss the pen aside but he felt his hand move back to the page and start answering the angry questions so he said with his own hand he wrote questions to God and then with his own hand God wrote answers for him and it becomes this book it's quite a long book called conversations with God and uh, I don't know why he could become so persuaded that God was speaking through his hand that he would go and put, his, put himself on the line and publish a book and take the mockery of his friends and things like that. Because I myself am skeptical. I'm skeptical of these types of things. And a lot of people in society are very skeptical. And uh, I, I read a book like that and I go, how, how did he have that kind of confidence? But then I open up Revelation chapter 10 and straight away I notice something different about the way God makes himself known and the power and the authority here. It's not subtle. There's no small movement of the hand or quiet whispers. There's sun and fire and rainbow and cloud and thunder and the roar of a lion. There's no ambiguity about where these angels come from. The angels got an authority that can only come from God himself. So if you 
look down at your passage, and I won't put every verse on the screen, but if you look down at your passage in chapter 10, verse 1, it says that he came from heaven and that he's robed in a cloud, rainbow above his head, face like the sun, and fiery pillars for legs. Verse 3 says that he roared like a lion, and when he shouted, the seven thunders spoke. So this is not a whisper or a small, subtle movement of the hand. It's a loud and mighty roar that commands your attention. This angel's come from God, and you can be confident about that because back in chapters 4 and 5, when we had the doorway to heaven open so we could get a glimpse of heaven, you might remember that there was lightning that flashed, thunder that rumbled, rainbow that encircled God's throne. And on the center of the throne, there was the lion of the tribe of Judah. And when we look back into chapter 1, we hear about that lion of the tribe of Judah, that man, that divine man, Jesus. And he had a face that shone with brilliance. And he had eyes like blazing fire and feet that were like bronze burning in a furnace and a long robe and a loud voice like rushing waters. So what we're meant to realize is that this angel has come from the presence of God with the full authority of the lion of the tribe of Judah. His face shines like the face of Jesus. His fiery legs are burning like that of Jesus. His voice roars like a lion, like the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he comes in clouds and thunder with a rainbow around his head. But he's just an angel. He's not to be worshipped. He is not God. But he has come from God with the authority of God. And he has a powerful message, bursting in volume with the force of God's authority. And he plants one foot on the land and one foot on the sea because the whole world is the dominion of his relevance. He places a foot on the land and a foot on the sea because the whole world is the dominion of his message. And his voice thunders across the land and the sea. He comes to deliver a message for all people. What's interesting is he actually doesn't say that much. Just a sentence or two. And in fact, in verse 4, when the voices thundered from the heavens, John was told, don't, don't write that down. Don't write that down, because it's not for our ears at this point in time. And this is a true fact that God only reveals what he chooses to reveal at the time that he chooses to reveal it. And so if you expect God to reveal things to you when you pick up a pen or when you say your prayers in the morning, you might run into problems if he does not move your hand. This angel didn't come at your request. He turned up in God's time, in God's way, with power and authority. And what he did say was pretty short, only a sentence or two. But he said it with his right hand in the air because he said it as an oath. He spoke as a promise. And he speaks about the future with certainty. And we should not doubt that this is the future. This is our future. It's a message that will come true. How do we know that this is going to come true? We know it's going to come true because the mighty angel who came from the presence of God in heaven raised his right hand and he swore by him who lives forever and ever 
who created the heavens and all that's in them, the earth and all that's in it, and the sea and all that's in it, and said, there will be no more delay. But in the days when the seventh angel's about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished, just as he announced to his servants the prophets. It doesn't say it might be accomplished. It says it will be accomplished. There's a certainty with the promise of an oath that this is going to happen and nothing can stop it. And then we get to hear about the future. We get to hear what will come true. We get to hear about a trumpet and about a mystery that when the final trumpet calls, the mystery of God will be accomplished. And you might say, well, what's the mystery? And if you have read the New Testament, you might be familiar that it's a phrase that comes up a lot in the New Testament as a mystery that's no longer a mystery because the mystery has been revealed. And it has to do with the fact that Jesus is at the center of the future and all history, that Jesus is going to be put on the throne, that the Messiah Jesus will be above all. And no matter where you are in the world, the call is to come under his lordship, to come under him. And whether you are a Jewish person back then or from any other nation, God is building all people under one Lord so that when the trumpet calls, all the people of God will gather under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what we see at the end of chapter 11. So if you were to move to the end of our passage today, at Revelation 11.15, you get a sneak peek of what happens when the last trumpet sounds. It says in Revelation 11.15, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah and he will reign forever and ever. And then the people of God fall down in worship and they say, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. So this is the picture of what will happen at the final day. We get a sneak peek of the future. A day is coming, promised on oath by a mighty angel, delivered and sent from God himself, the message that God will come back, he will judge the world, and he will take back control and hand it to his Messiah, who will control everything forever and ever and ever. And so if you're here today and you've heard that before, then the call is to continue in the knowledge with confidence that Jesus is coming back and that day is ahead. And if you've never heard that before and you weren't really aware of it, or maybe you're the kind of person that's heard it before but you thought maybe it's the stuff that belongs to movies and it's made up, then I hope you might take today as an opportunity to take it really seriously because it's as serious as the oath of an angel and it's as weighty as what will happen at the very end 
that Jesus will have all power and authority and everyone is called to submit to him. And if you're not ready, then God is warning you today to get ready for that final day, to be prepared. And you don't need to wait to get prepared. You don't have to put this off. You don't have to wait till the future. You don't have to wait to the end of the service to go and talk to someone. You can be prepared right now by turning to God and revering him. It says there in verse 18 that people who revere his name, both great and small, will be protected and saved on that day. doesn't matter how great you are or small you are, what your backstory is. You can turn and worship and revere his name, come under the lordship of Jesus Christ, and you will be safe. So I hope and pray that if you have not done that before, that you would do that right now. But if you're already on board and if you already are a worshipper of God, then there's an extra message for you today. And just because we've got two whole chapters of Revelation, I can't stop here. I've got to keep going. There's more to say. And it's for us who worship God, there's a message that says that we need to go and share that with the rest of the world. That's the point of the first half of chapter 11. It's kind of like what Jesus has already said in the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 24, he said, This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And that's what chapter 11 is saying. It's, it's basically a quick summary of the whole of the first half of chapter 11. It's about what God is doing in the world now through the church. It's about Christians going out and sharing the message with the rest of the world so that they can get ready for that final trumpet. It's about taking our responsibility to speak up and share that message with the world. Because that angel, that mighty angel, has come and gone. That mighty angel spoke a few brief sentences. But did you notice that he also had a scroll in his hand? And what did he do with that scroll? That little scroll becomes the focus of attention. Not so much because of what was written in it, because of, we're not exactly told what was written on it. It's more about the passing of the baton. Like in a relay, when one runner hands the baton to another, God's message is passed on from an almighty angel to a man named John. Just a man named John. What a responsibility for a man named John. And this is how every prophet felt, weak and humbled and wondering how could they possibly share this message. But they carried the message of thundering angels and the authority of God. And John was told to go and eat the scroll. So in chapter 10, verse 10, I took the little scroll from the angel's hands and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many people, nations, languages, and kings. So John digested the message, and it was his responsibility to pass it to the rest of the world. It tasted sweet in the mouth, but it got sour when it got to the belly. It reminds me a little bit of those gels that cyclists eat. 
you know the ones? So after a few hours of being out there riding or running, or all those types of long-distance sports, people pull out these really thick, sugary gels, like syrup, put them in the mouth, and after a few more hours of trying to do that, your belly starts to turn sour, doesn't it? Because you eat too many gels and they're very sweet in the mouth, but your belly turns sour. That's what it's saying this message is like. This is a sweet and sour message. It's sweet in the mouth, but it, it's like too many glucose gels in the belly. It starts good, but when you digest it, it can be hard to handle. And if you share it, there are a lot of people that feel sour about it. It's an inconvenient truth. An inconvenient truth about the future, that there is a God who will take control and who will judge and who will put his Messiah on the throne. There is an inconvenient truth about the fact that we are not in control, that it is not independence and self-autonomy. Do whatever you like. There is a day where he is coming, and he's not just coming, but he's coming for me. I need to be ready for that day when he will judge the world. How hard is it to tell that to people that we love? We're conflict avoiders, generally speaking. We don't like to say hard things to the people we care about. But this is the baton that was passed to John. And this is the baton that John passes to us. That's what chapter 11 is all about. Chapter 11 isn't about two literal blokes who will come one day in the future and they'll have miracles and power. It's actually about us, the church, being a reliable witness. We have a powerful prophetic message, even though we might be trampled for sharing it. And I hope that you can look at this chapter in more detail in your growth group, which might be a little ambitious given how many you're trying to cover in your growth groups as well, but I hope you can, because I don't have time to show you all of my working, but I'll just point out a, a few things, and I'll just remind you that Revelation and this chapter here is full of symbolism. There's lots of symbols here. And if I could use an analogy, for me it feels a little bit like walking into an Aboriginal art gallery. I mean, I am not Aboriginal. If I go into an Aboriginal art gallery, there are things there that I may not understand. But if I speak to someone who knows the stories and the culture, they can help me see and understand what symbols that I'm looking at. And here we are going into this Jewish art gallery with symbols from Jewish history and Jewish culture. And we're being confused because of where we are in time and place but there's symbolism here that if you understand the backstory it makes sense in that culture so without too much detail I just wanted to say 42 months is 1260 days it's the same thing as time times and half a time in the Jewish culture which is a reference back to the book of Daniel and I was having a chat to Michael who's now interpreting for those who are listening in Mandarin and he's trying to go from English times time half a time into Mandarin and this is hard right because in the Mandarin Bible it doesn't say time times and half a time it actually says three and a half years and if you look at the footnote of your own Bible in Daniel 7 it says an alternative translation is three and a half years time times and half a years three and a half years is the same thing as 1260 days is the same thing as the 42 months and so Nothing is going to stop the witnesses from witnessing 
for the full period that's been prophesied in Daniel 7. Daniel 7 said that for time, times and half a time, the people of God are going to be trampled. But at the end, the judge will come back and sort things out. And that's what we're seeing here. People are being trampled. The people of God are being trampled for time, times and half a time. Not a literal three and a half years, but the period before the Lord comes back to judge. And the same amount of time that people are trampled, they continue to witness. So you notice that the two witnesses did not stop for the full period of 1,260 days. And yet it was hard for them. They would die for sharing this message. We also need to recognize the amount of symbolism in this passage also relates to the number two. When you think of two witnesses, you might think two literal witnesses, but in Jewish law and in the cultural knowledge was that two witnesses makes for a testimony at law that is a reliable and faithful testimony. And don't forget also maybe a subtle illusion that Jesus sent out his people on mission two by two. So there's a double witness and there is a striking similarity to Moses and Elijah picked up here because the witness of the church comes with the power like Moses and the power like Elijah. Remembering in the end of the Old Testament, one like Elijah would come and do the prophetic work in preparation for the final day. So here we see that the people of God, the two lampstands, remembering in chapter 1, lampstands represents the churches. The people of God going before the world, being trampled, but not stopping to proclaim. So that was my whirlwind tour of the symbolism of chapter 11. I understand that there's more to chat about. You could wrestle with this together and you'll see all kinds of symbolism that comes from the Jewish Old Testament beliefs till that point. But let's pull it all together. The message here is not just about getting prepared for the final day. It's about helping others be prepared for the final day. And it's going to be hard work because it says here that God's people are going to be trampled because they have a sweet and sour message to share. It's sweet on the tongue but sour in the belly and there's always going to be people that are going to find it hard to digest. So if you don't want to be trampled, then don't become a member of the church. Because the church that is faithful to the word of God will be a witness to the world. And if you don't want to be trampled, then don't become a member of the church. If you don't want to be trampled, then don't share your faith. Because if you speak up, you can be sure that there's something sour to digest that people will find hard to, hard to accept. But if you want to follow Jesus and be like your saviour, then of course you'll need to put the truth ahead of your comfort and love above security. The call here is so much greater than letting your colleagues know that you are a Christian. The call here is helping your colleagues be prepared for the final day. God is waiting for us, the church, to prepare people for the final day before he returns. 
And we need to tell people so that they can decide whether to honour him or to reject him and be rejected by him. And if we don't speak, the media will. will say all kinds of things about the church, but it won't be very kind and it won't really represent what we believe and what we want people to know. So we need to speak up. And if you don't speak to the people that you love, how are they going to hear? Because, I mean, the church isn't really resourced to reach all of your friends and people you love without your partnership. So will you be like Jesus and risk your livelihood? When I remember that I have the opportunity to share a message that's delivered by the mighty angels so that people can get ready for the final trumpet call, it gives me strength to keep speaking, even if it does get hard. When I'm weak, I'm glad I'm a part of a church where there are many faithful witnesses, some that have gone before us, some around the world that are even losing their life and becoming martyred for their faith and professing their faith. And that's exactly what happens at the end of this story of the two witnesses is they're killed, but they only are dead for three and a half days as opposed to the three and a half years of their ministry. And the three and a half symbolic days reflects when Jesus, after three years of his ministry, was dead three days and rose from the dead and was taken up to be with God. So the church will rise to be restored into the presence of God. And so our hope is this, that even as we are tormented and trampled in these days, as we share our faith and stand up for what we believe so we can prepare people, we will be safe in the end. All will go well. doesn't mean it's not going to be hard, but it was hard for Jesus and he is our example. And the result of his example is that he saved many and was raised and vindicated to be with God May the Lord save others through you and then raise you up to be with him eternally. In the book Conversations with God that I mentioned at the very beginning, Neil Donald Walsh says, My life would probably be much easier if I had kept all this quiet. Yet that wasn't the reason it happened to me. And whatever inconveniences the book may cause me, it's not possible for me to stop the process now, nor do I wish to, for it is a wonderful gift to all those who truly want answers. Now, I find it astonishing that someone like Neil Donald Walsh would be able to have the confidence and courage to put himself on the line for a message that he felt that he received by the movement of his hand. How much more, having been given the authoritative word of God by angels, eaten by John as a scroll, turned into this word in the book of Revelation, that we might go out and share it with the world, how much more should we put our bodies on the line for something that is eternally true? Your life would be a lot easier if you kept it quiet. You risk your livelihood. But if it's true, then go and risk your life. Go and risk your life.